We've been working our way in uh, Lent through the scripture readings through the eyes of John, who tells some stories that nobody else tells, and they're long stories, which makes them really great stories um, because they have room for a lot of details. And in those details, there's a lot of Jesus and a lot of uh, who he is and and what it means to be us uh, in the world in his name. What I'm going to do for a sermon today, rather than read this uh, very long story and then uh, offer a sermon after it, I'm going to preach in kind of, I don't know what to call it, running commentary fashion. We're going we're gonna to go back and forth from the story to, um, to some comments and, well, hopefully it adds up to a sermon. So, John 11, starting at verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. We're going to stop first right there because I need need to warn you, actually, that as we go on, we're going to actually, many of us, struggle to understand how Jesus responds and actually how Jesus doesn't respond to this request um, from Mary and Martha regarding their brother. Whatever it is that we don't and maybe can't understand as we read forward, John wants us to understand this because he says it very clearly right off the top. Whatever Jesus is about to do or not do for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Jesus loves Mary and Martha, and Lazarus. And so we read, the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, rather it is for God's glory, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after Having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Wait a minute, right? With friends like this, Jesus loves Mary and Martha and and Lazarus, and they love him, and Lazarus is sick, and so they sent word to Jesus. They asked him to help. They prayed to him, if you will, and John tells us that Jesus heard their request and then didn't do anything. Seems like an unusually odd response on Jesus' part or an odd non-response, I guess, more accurately on Jesus' part, except that for some of us, this isn't odd at all, is it? Because we have been there. Maybe some of us are there right now. We love Jesus, and we are told, the Bible tells me so, that Jesus loves me, and we need help, and so we pray. We send word to him to please come and help, and sometimes what? Sometimes in the midst of those times, There have been times when the response we seem to have gotten was no response at all. And I'm not here to tell you that I uh, understand that totally. I actually have had my own struggles with that. I'm sure I'm not done. One thing this particular reading does go on to tell us, not as an answer to all of those questions and struggles, but I think something to keep in mind when we're the ones who are questioning or struggling, that this is going to go on to tell us this, and we'll listen for that. Just because we don't right away get the exact answer to prayer 
that we were looking for that doesn't mean that we're not getting an answer and that it's a good one even. Nor does the fact that if God doesn't seem to be doing right now what we think God should be doing, that doesn't mean that God won't in God's own time do something and that it will be good. It's just that we, not being God, or the the only begotten of the Father, we, in some cases, are just plain not able to understand that. We are asked in the midst of things we cannot understand. We're asked to trust him in all of that. But here's some good news. You're not just all on your own on that count because it turns out, we'll see this play out, one of God's favorite answers to prayer and even a miracle that God likes to give to people in prayer is the gift and the miracle of faith. When I've been the one struggling with seemingly unanswered prayers, one thing that has sometimes been helpful is is this detail in this story. In his initial not response to Mary and Martha and Lazarus, all of whom he loved, as this plays out, we'll see that his answer actually isn't no. His answer, though this, this isn't completely articulated, but his answer will prove to be not yet and not that. For wait, and soon enough I've got something in mind that is bigger and better than even what you're asking for. Back to the text. After this, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And you're going to go there again? Jesus said to them, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was referring merely to sleep. Okay, I said sometimes we don't understand Jesus. Turns out sometimes the disciples didn't understand him either, which included not understanding him here. Except, and this is kind of interesting, their struggle, unlike Mary and Martha, their struggle wasn't why Jesus didn't quick go to Bethany. Their struggle was why after two days all of a sudden he decided he had to. Because they knew, and by the way, they were absolutely right about this. This will play out to be true. They knew there was danger there. People who wanted to kill Jesus would be there, indeed. Besides, taking a risk may be one thing if you're doing something worth taking a risk for, but seemingly that didn't seem to be the case here because Lazarus, according to Jesus, is just asleep. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Here we see what I said earlier. Sometimes at least one of the miracles Jesus is aiming for in response to our prayers is that miracle of faith. Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. 
This is interesting. Thomas is usually remembered by his nickname, Doubting Thomas, correct? And there's a reason for that. We will hear the exact reason three weeks from today, the Doubting Thomas story, the week after Easter. What we see in this story, however, is that it is fake news. It is neither fair nor balanced to define Thomas only by his bad moment, by his doubts, because we see in this story that Doubting Thomas is the bravest one in the bunch. We continue reading, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Dear Martha, she's grieving. But knowing some other things that we know about Martha from some other stories about here in the Bible, I read this passage and I hear a little bit of anger in her grief. So when she runs out to Jesus, I hear in her tone of voice anyway a bit of accusing going on when she says those words, Lord, if you'd been here, she might be doing this too, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That is to say, if you'd gotten here sooner, this would have happened. That is to say, Lord, why didn't you get here sooner? I asked days ago. Then the story gets interesting in a powerful way. Because I do believe there's some anger here. I think Martha's a little ticked at Jesus. I believe there's some disappointment here. I think she feels let down by Jesus. There's also something else here, and that something is faith. Martha believes still in Jesus. And so believing in him deeply, she does something that I think sometimes people think is a sign of weakness in faith, but it's the the exact opposite of that. She runs out to him, and this takes faith. She runs out to him, and she vents. Lord, what took you so long? It doesn't really take all that much faith or love, I think, to trust that someone will be happy with you if what they see is always just the happy side of you. You really have to trust a relationship to trust that someone's going to be able to see the real you even when it's not all that happy and that they won't turn away from you. Jesus loves Martha. He does not turn away from her real anger and her real disappointment, nor does he scold her for her anger and disappointment. And Martha, even though she's angry and disappointed, she loves and believes in Jesus still, which we can see when after venting, She confesses her faith that is still faith in spite of what has happened and in spite of what hasn't happened, even though she'd prayed about it, darn it. Even now, she says to Jesus in this marvelous confession of faith, 
Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And how does Jesus respond to her irritated and disappointed and deep faith? Not with a scolding, but with a promise. A promise for her, a promise for the ages. For it is Martha, who's the first one ever disappointed, angry, but still faithful Martha. She's the one who first hears the precious and priceless promise of John 11, 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now let's be clear. Even that precious, priceless promise doesn't make everything clear. Right? Lazarus, after all, had lived and believed in Jesus, and he died. As people that I and many of you have known and loved and prayed for, have lived and believed in Jesus, and they've died. And the promise doesn't change that. What the promise does, it says that Lazarus and the believers that we've known and loved and nevertheless had to say goodbye to they didn't, even in the grave, experiencing, experience something that Jesus couldn't bring life to. We keep reading. Martha went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out and they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha gets, goes to get Mary and this, this is kind of nice to see. She's gentle with her. Gentle, perhaps, because Mary had always been the tender-hearted one of the two. And now her tender heart was devastated. And Martha, who is not in Scripture known primarily for her tenderness, is in this instance, nevertheless, tender with her sister. And softly and tenderly, she tells her that Jesus is here and, and Mary goes to Jesus and, and not with anger in her voice, but I think I hear brokenheartedness in her voice. She says, did you notice this? She says the word for word exact same thing that Martha had said. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But whereas Martha had said those words with some fire in her eyes and they were pointed when she said them, pointed in Jesus' face, I think. Mary speaking now those same words. Mary has swollen eyes. Red. There are tears running down her face. And you know how Martha, after expressing her anger then went on to express her faith and Jesus met her faith with that marvelous promise for the faithful Mary. 
after speaking those exact same words, goes on to give Jesus not her words of faith. She goes on to give him her tears. And what does Jesus meet her tears with? John 11, 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. The answer to the Bible trivia question, what's the shortest verse in the Bible, used to be John eleven thirty five, 35, which in older versions was translated, Jesus wept. The NRSV translates it, Jesus began to weep, which ruins the answer to the trivia question. <laughs> but it's a better translation. By the way, there's still a two-word verse in the Bible in the NRSV. You're welcome to go find it. <laughs> Rejoice always. First Thessalonians. Ruins the trivia, trivia question, but it's a great translation because the grammar in the Greek here doesn't just say that Jesus, you know, a tear ran down his face and then that was that. It says that he cried and he kept crying. It's an ongoing type of verb. I, I did a funeral on um, Friday up in Cedar Rapids for the friend of one of our members who didn't have a pastor, so it was an honor to do that. But she had two young, young daughters in their 20s and one of them spoke about her mom, and afterwards she got through it as far as she could, and then she just started sobbing. And her sister walked up to the lectern and just held her. And it was like, I don't even know how long it was. One just sobbing in the arms of the other. That's what this image is like. Mary doesn't just shed a tear. She cries, and she keeps crying, and Jesus cries with her. I see his arms around her, and he keeps crying. Why do you suppose he cried? It's pretty clear he knew what he was going to do. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he cries. Why do you think? I think. I think of this at funerals when somebody will say to somebody, well, don't cry, he's in heaven. Hmm. I think even the greatest faith in the world, faith that knows and trust the greatest promise God has ever given anybody. Mountain-moving faith, bigger-than-death faith, Easter faith doesn't change the fact that some things that happen between now and Easter still hurt. And they even hurt the faithful, and they even hurt Jesus. If you're the one grieving and crying, it's good to remember that, to remember that, that Jesus cries too with you. If you're the one reaching out to somebody who's grieving and crying, it's good to remember that too, to remember that even Jesus, in the presence of one who was grieving, didn't always, didn't always run around preaching sermons. He realized there's a time for every purpose under heaven, including a time for silence, not talking, a time for tears. We read on. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And the answer to that question is, well, of course, Yes. We presume he could have, but he didn't. Why? Well, because what I said earlier, he had something else, something better in mind, and that something else was to point to love that is not love which spares us from all things that hurt, but is rather love that is more powerful than anything that could ever hurt you. 
And so John writes, Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been in there for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. There's that thought again. Jesus' favorite miracle is faith. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet bound with strips of cloth his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Something to understand. Jesus did miracles, and I believe that. I don't think these are all just metaphors or or something like that. Jesus did miracles, and I believe that. And here in John 11 is one of them. In fact, this is more than just one of them. This is like the biggest of all of them, right? Because this is like Easter, right? Actually, not quite right. Not quite. This is a miracle that rhymes with Easter. But it actually isn't the same as Easter. I say that because Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he's going to die again when his time comes. I say that too because Jesus raised Lazarus, but in just a couple weeks, he's going to die too really soon now. But Jesus, we will be told clearly as this story unfolds and we reread it to the end in the next few weeks, Jesus will face his time and his death trusting his Father. He will do so in faith. And Lazarus, we aren't told. About him we can only imagine. Here's what I imagine. I imagine that Lazarus, after what he'd been through, though he would nevertheless one day die again? Lazarus wouldn't die afraid. And we, of course, you and I, like Lazarus, we will one day die too. And we too, of course, you and I, like Mary and Martha, we probably have some goodbyes yet to say to some who will die and leave us. Here's a miracle for you from this miracle for Lazarus. You don't need to be afraid. You don't ever, in the presence of death or grief, need to be afraid. For Jesus meets us where we are. He meets us where we are. He comes to us in our anger. He comes to us with our questions. He comes to us in our tears. He cries with us, if if that would be helpful. Indeed, he comes to us in our tombs. And he comes finally to dry our tears in the gentle dab of this promise. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. And then wanting to perform just one final miracle, a miracle in your heart, 
he says, do you believe this? Amen.